Minister Winston Churchill once said, When I look back on all these worries, I remember that the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which had never happened. The American poet and diplomat James Russell Lowe expressed a similar sentiment when he said, Let us be of good cheer, remembering that the misfortunes hardest to bear are those which will never happen. And it's also been said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. (laughs) These quotes illustrate a large part of the problem with worry. It can consume huge amounts of time and energy that is totally unprofitable. We often realize too late that we will never receive tangible benefits in return for our efforts spent worrying. So you might be asking yourself, Pastor Jim, what are you going to be teaching on tonight? Worry. Are you worried about that? Remember in the late 1980s, a guy by the name of Bobby McFerrin singing, here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. Right? Do you remember that song? Some of you weren't born yet, so that's all right. But still, uh, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. So here we are on a rainy night. Most of the people here, as I look around, you're probably tired from a long day, half asleep. And we're going to have an exciting Bible study on worry. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture tonight that should convict us and cause us to examine what we concern ourselves with or what we worry about. Webster's Dictionary defines worry as to make anxious, having anxiety over someone or something, to afflict with mental distress or agitation. So let's look at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25, and see what the Lord has to say to us regarding this issue of worry. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore I say to you, you do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, most of here tonight have really never been without the basics of food, water, and clothing. 
we are very fortunate in this country, aren't we, that for the most part, we really don't know what it's like to experience hunger, thirst, or be without clothes. We just don't know. For us, it's really not about will I have something to eat or drink or wear, but when and what and where and how much. So imagine, if you will, somewhat uh, a, a normal family. Let's say it's a, a Friday night and the day of work is over for mom and dad and, and for their daughter, she's done with college for that day. And Now, this is no particular family, mind you, but, but what I'm saying is, you know, let's say the dad is maybe, oh, I don't know, a pastor, and the wife is in retail, and the daughter studying some kind of dental thing. I'm not sure what it is. But let's say they get home, it's later, and they determine that they, there's really nothing to, to eat at home. Not that there's nothing to eat, but nothing that they prefer to eat. So picture them sitting in the driveway, in the car, a car running, foot on the brake, and they can't decide, of course, what, what it is they want to eat. So a discussion starts, and Dad's not in the mood for Mexican. Mom's not in the mood for Italian. The daughter, well, she doesn't care just as long as it doesn't take very long. So dad says, this is what I hear again, but dad says, now I'm not leaving the driveway until we decide. I need a direction to go in. I'm not going anywhere until uh, I get a direction. So mom says, well, I don't care. Dad says, well, I don't care either. I'm just hungry. The daughter says, whatever, let's go. You know, it's just some random family and this conversation is going on, Okay. Are you with me there? <laughs> so I look around this room tonight, and I, I don't see anyone dying of hunger. I, I don't see anyone dying of thirst or without clothing. No one's here is naked. It's a good thing. Let's keep it that way. So you could be here, and you got off work late. Maybe you didn't have time to stop anywhere and get something to eat. That, that happens sometimes, right? So you might be a little hungry, but you're certainly not dying of hunger. Or because you're running late, you may have had to come here in your work clothes. You wouldn't have had time to change. So it's not your choice, your first choice of clothes, but you do have clothes. Now we know that physically all these things are important, right? They're, they're essential in our being healthy physically. They are life-sustaining. Physically, they are a need. And we would all agree, I believe, tonight that our physical needs, those essential needs that we see here, are being met. So we know that God is and has been providing faithfully for our basic needs, our essentials. We know that He did it yesterday, we know that He did it today, and we know that He will tomorrow. Will He? Tomorrow? I, you, we worry about tomorrow, don't we? Tomorrow's another day. We don't know what the day's going to bring. We worry about those kind of things. So in Matthew 6, 25, the text that we read, Jesus instructs us about worrying about these things. So Jesus is going to teach us if we did not need to worry about life's basic essentials. Why worry about anything else, right? Those are the things that we need. Those are the things that we depend on that are essentials for life for us if we don't need to worry about those things why would we worry about anything else so therefore in verse 25 jesus says do not worry 
what you will eat or drink or what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Is life not more? Jesus asks us. Notice that he says, do not worry about what you will eat, drink, or wear. Future tense, what you will. And in verse 26, he talks about the birds not storing up in barns and God takes care of them and we were created for his good pleasure to glorify him. Do we think he will take care of us even more? Again, he will take care of us, future tense. So let's look back at a few verses that led up to this dialogue that Jesus is having with the people and look at verse 19 through 21. And it says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in light of these previous verses that lead up to this dialogue that Jesus is having here, we are instructed to not lay up treasures on earth, and he tells us not to focus on these future needs. We are not to lay up earthly treasures that won't last, but we are to lay up heavenly treasures that will last and do last. And he goes on to say, then, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question is tonight, where is your treasure? On earth? Is it in heaven? Are we focused on what we don't have and we worry about it until we get it? Or are we focused on what we already do have and aren't we going to keep it? Do we place too much emphasis on how much earthly treasure we have in storage. We might all know what our earthly 401k plan looks like, good or bad, right? But what does our heavenly 401k plan look like? The ultimate in retirement, right? Are we consumed by what we consume? Do we own them or do they own us? Do we possess them or do they possess us? Now, he also points out in verse 24 that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other, because you cannot serve God and mammon, God and money or riches. So, it says we will hate the one and love the other, or we will be loyal to one and despise the other, We cannot effectively, successfully serve two masters. It's just not possible because we're going to have loyalty to one or the other. So which one are we the most focused on? So again, the questions are, what is our treasure? Where is our treasure stored and what are we focused on? What occupies our thoughts the majority of the time? Let's look at verse 27. It says, Which one of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So Jesus cautions us that we cannot add to our stature by worrying, comparing it to the likelihood of growing taller by worrying. That's just absurd, isn't it? What is to be gained? Like, I'm going to worry myself to six foot seven. Like, that's going to happen. It's just just non-productive. 
It doesn't work. I know, because when I was younger, I tried it. It just doesn't work. (laughs) Now, verses 28 through 30 deals with the way we look, comparing us with flowers. I struggle with that a little bit, men. I don't know about you, but (laughs) if I was to ask you, men, okay, men, if if you were a flower, what would you be? (laughs) You don't have to get back with me on that. I really don't want to know. So what do we look like? How much time and money do we spend to look nice? How much time and money do we spend on clothes, on our hair? Not much, right? Okay. Now, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I know that our jobs can require us to look a certain way. Uh, Our employers have an expectation of what it is we're going to dress like or look like. Uh, Maybe uh, uniforms, you may get to wear whatever you want. But uh, how much time and money do we spend on that? uh, Do we spend... uh, Think about that for a second. Think about necessity versus what we spend on. Do you feel like you're getting beat up on a little bit tonight? That's not my intention. (laughs) I'm trying to make a point, okay? Uh, There's nothing really inherently wrong with wanting to look good. But when we cross over to being worried about how we look, when that becomes a worry for us, it occupies our thoughts, that's a problem. Are we worried about the way other people perceive us? I've heard the saying, we wouldn't be so concerned about what others think of us if we realized how little they did. Let me say that again. We wouldn't be so concerned about what others think of us if we realized just how little they did. So in verse 31, he says, do not worry about what we shall eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. And then he goes on in verse 32, he says, because that's what the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles representing the world. It's what the world seeks. But we are to, in verse 33, what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So the question is, what are we seeking first? What are we seeking first? Are we seeking to lay up earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? Are we earthly investing first or heavenly investing first? What is our first focus? That's the real question in this passage. If we are in a state of worry, we are not seeking God first. We are relying on self or worldly answers. So therefore, worry is sin because it is not relying on or trusting in God first. Jesus commands three things in these passages from verse 19 through 34. Do not lay up treasures on earth. Do not worry and seek God and his righteousness. So then Jesus goes on to say in verse 34, then, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is his own trouble. So what else does Scripture have to say about being focused on tomorrow, that looking forward? Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And then in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, Come now, you who say, 
Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good, and he does not do it, to him it is a sin. Reiterating that there are those three commands that he gives us. He wants us to do those things, or do not do them. And if we don't, it's sin. So worry, anxiety, stress, those things categorically are sin in the sight of God. Because it's not relying on God for who he is and what he's done for us. Again, Webster's defines worry as to afflict with mental distress or agitation, to make anxious, or having anxiety over someone or something. So a woman accompanied accompanied her husband to the doctor's office. And after his checkup, the doctor called the wife into the office alone. And he said, your husband is suffering from a very severe anxiety disorder. If you don't do the following, your husband will surely die. So the doctor continued, Each morning, fix him a healthy breakfast. Be pleasant at all times. For lunch, make him a nutritious meal. For dinner, prepare an especially nice meal for him. Don't burden him with chores. Don't discuss your problems with him. It will only make his stress worse. No nagging. And most importantly, make sure you show him affection as much as possible. If you can do this, For the next 10 months to a year, I think your husband will regain his health completely. Sounds like a good plan, doesn't it, guys? I'm in full agreement with that. So then on the way home in the car, the husband asked his wife, so what did the doctor say? To which his wife responded, he said you're going to (laughs) die. Worry, anxiousness, stress, anxiety. Anxiety. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, if you will. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at how Paul instructs us to overcome anxiety or worry. Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 6. And we're just talking about worrying, anxiety, being anxious. And Paul writes this for us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Nothing in the Greek is nothing. In other words, don't worry. Stop it. Quit it. Quit worrying. It's a command. Don't let anything be cause for worry. How do I do that? Because we all worry, don't we? We We just do. So how do we overcome worry when it comes upon us? The answer is in the following verses. But in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But in everything, everything in the Greek means everything. So we had don't let anything be the cause for worry, and now we have don't, or but in everything, by prayer, by supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known. So by prayer, when we feel worry coming upon us, our natural response should be to do what? Turn to God in prayer. Turn away from the worry and turn to God in prayer. God is not a source of worry or concern for us. He's actually a lifesaver from that. So turn away from this and turn to God. Seek the Lord by talking to Him. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Tells us three things to do, and then gives us three promises to follow it up with. Ask, it's going to be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened. So, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, take it to the Lord in humility. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Go to the Lord in humility in prayer. Make your supplication to Him with thanksgiving. Take it to the Lord with thanks, giving thanks to the Lord for all He has already provided and all that He promises to provide. If we look back over the course of our life, we can look at those moments when we cried out to God and He was there. We asked and it was given. We sought Him and we found Him. We knocked and He opened it to us. We are a resume of God's faithfulness to us. So with thanksgiving, we can come to Him knowing that He's already provided for us and then He promises us that He will provide. So we can go to Him with thanksgiving just knowing that it's going to happen. I think about, there are so many things that we could take to the Lord and ask Him for. And a lot of those things might not be beneficial to us But when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you help me to not worry? Do we think that God's not going to answer that? He doesn't want us to worry. He wants us to call on Him. And then He said, make your request known to God. We can take it to the Lord in specifics. They don't have to be generalities. Lord, I am worrying about this. I need help with this. I am struggling with this. Be specific about what it is that you're struggling with, what you're worrying about. Lord, you already know. We can't tell him anything that he doesn't already know. So, Lord, you already know I'm worrying about this. Help me. So, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, we are to make our request be made known to God. So going to the Lord in prayer with a humble heart, with a thankful heart, with our specific requests. Think of it as communicating with the Lord, knowing who He is, knowing who you are, thankful that you have a relationship with Him, and specifically laying before Him what is causing you to worry. Hebrews four fifteen and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest 
who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us, therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace, to obtain mercy and find grace in time of need, in time of trouble. In Psalms 46, verse 1, David writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. God is there for us. So verse 6 again says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he said, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The only thing, feel free to write this down. This is a monumental statement. The only thing that can overcome worry is peace. The peace of God. Paul tells us that it surpasses understanding. We don't have to understand it. Sometimes we don't even get to understand it because it goes beyond or exceeds our understanding of it. That drives me nuts. <laughs> I want to understand it. Most of us do, don't we? But it says it surpasses understanding. So a key phrase for us in this would be prayer is the path to peace for our problems. Let's all say that together. Prayer is the path to peace for our problems. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Whatever it is, you can take it to the Lord because prayer is the path to peace for our problems. Take it to the one who can actually deal with it. So in the rest of verse 7, it says, in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus will guard your, our hearts and minds. So not only does He grant us peace from our worries, He also guards our hearts and minds from worry or against worry as we're focused on Christ Jesus first. First focused on Christ Jesus, coming to Him in prayer. He gives us peace. It surpasses understanding. And He guards our hearts and minds from that. Now there's an interesting thought. Rather than having a 911 prayer to God, <laughs> why not ask Him beforehand? Lord, I know that I'm prone to worry. I know that there are things that bother me, concern me. Lord, would you guard my heart, guard my mind from those things that would cause me anxiety or stress, those things that would worry me? In Matthew chapter 6, flip back over to there, if you would. where we started tonight in our text, Matthew chapter 6, fairly long chapter, and one of the things that we see in there is what has been known as the Lord's Prayer. It's not really the Lord's Prayer because Jesus himself would never have had to pray these things, but he says in verse 9, chapter 6, when you pray, pray in this manner. So he's telling his disciples, the people that are there, 
when you pray, pray like this. Pray in this manner. And one of the things that he has them pray for specifically is in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. So give us this day, this day at the beginning or start of the day, give us this day our daily bread. This, to me, says to us that we need to start out our day in prayer. Do we not? I know that all of us could say, well, you know, I have other times in the day that I like to spend with the Lord. Well, that's good. That's fine. But what I believe is going to be of most value is if we start our day off with the Lord. That we're asking the Lord for things, for Him to guide us, to direct us, provide for us, make us aware, help us to not worry, guard our hearts and minds, all those things at the beginning of our day. Just makes sense, doesn't it? Rather than in the middle of the day go, oh, (laughs) yeah, I wanted to pray for, well, too late. That happened at 10 o'clock. You know, prepare us for the day. So give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. Now, this certainly does mean physical food, sustenance for the day, just like we looked in verses 25 through 34. But it also means spiritual food, spiritual sustenance for the day. So Jesus says, pray that the Lord will give to you sustenance sufficient for the day. Who knows what's going to happen in our day? The Lord, right? He already knows. Everything that's going to happen, everything that's going to be on our minds, He already knows. We come to Him in prayer and we ask Him, Lord, prepare me, get me ready for, give me sustenance sufficient for the day. Physical sustenance, certainly, we want to eat, but also spiritual sustenance, those things that are necessary for us to live the victorious Christian life during the course of our day. So whether it's physical or spiritual, He's the provider of all necessary needed sustenance that's sufficient for our day pray about it don't worry about it so back to our original text in verse 33 when he says so seek ye first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things what things all these things all the things that are necessary for us all the things that are sustenance sufficient for the day will be added unto us as well So we can be rejoicing in what we do have in the Lord and not worrying about other things. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to close with this text. Ephesians chapter 3. Once again, Paul writing this, and it's, it's, a, it's a prayer of Paul. And I think it really will help us sum up what we've talked about tonight in, in regards to worry and who we take that to. Starting with verse 14, chapter 3, Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, 
and that you, being rooted and grounded in His love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. If that's not a verse that just gets your blood boiling, I don't know what is. I, exceedingly, just the words that Paul's using, to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, that which passes knowledge, that which goes beyond our understanding, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. To Him be the glory. So we take our worries, take our anxieties to the One who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think and can give to us a peace that passes understanding. Amen?